the show has started um we wanted to give uh people a little update on um some of our die hard hard fans um we crossed uh 50,000 views um wow. for our last episode which is pretty insane um and that was with rad from uh intro um pretty insane traction from a start uh, podcast that started with just some idiots that um has, have raised some money um but we're, we 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 um uh, really appreciate everybody that that tunes in every, every single week kevin has told me if we get to 150,000 episodes of listener he's <laughs> going to get tattoo it on his cheek so let's get there everyone <laughs> you did say that and not Sarah's gonna yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna not get a tattoo but not only did like rad coming on you know blow this podcast out of the water we're like up to a new people were tweeting us as one of the main podcasts they listen to now but it also got so me fun. a lot of intro bookings so i yeah, was like blowing up with right. intro bookings last week that's why i have no voice i have a cough drop now because it was just i was talking to so many people thanks yeah. to rad yeah i'm gonna, and, and I'm the gonna book you now yeah. <laughs> no, do it. I have so many. Like, I even had to reschedule one today because I have, like, no voice and I need to well, save and, it. And, and also, well, I folks, thought... if you want you want to book me, I'm available, too. I'm me also too. on intro. Me, me you too. You can my, pay to talk to me. My price is just very high, so I have yet to Hold get on. Can I, can I just take, like, just a quick segue for a second? I literally did this, but on Clarity, which is what existed at the time. Yes, yeah. In order to fi figure out how to fundraise. I legitimately did do, did do this. I just raised a million and a half dollars. I was scrambling to raise six, and I called Peter Pham, the guy who runs science, I'm sure oh, you yeah. guys know, who started Liquid Death. I started, I, I, I literally, the most expensive people that I could possibly reach out to it's on Clarity, so which is we, what we intro is. We gotta get Peter Pham on the podcast, actually. That is no a good investors, one. no investors, no. No, he's not. He's not. He like no, 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 really no. Really, one no, of the no. key geniuses behind Liquid Death, which has grown a crazy. I mean, that is like the biggest marketing all right, success all right. story well, of all time. We're at the end. We're I, I vote Peter Pham. I vote get him on. Also, I think. Startup studio like blends that model. He's not really a VC, so let's get him on. Here. He is like a hardcore operator. Mm -hmm. That guy is so hardcore. So but we also, should get him on. Also, we'll tell you the secret on how he got to this this big of a viewership. It's really by getting amazing guests on, and then I think some people like us as 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 just kind of our regular listeners. But like the 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 strings that um uh we've all had to pull. I'll, I'll tell you. Um, so I. I got before uh, 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 Rad, who came on, I think, because we got Aaron Levy from Box. I've been mm -hmm. emailing uh, Aaron Levy for the last year, like literally, like once a month. And he said, because he said, and he was just, uh, uh, just you just got to, and, and this kind of relates to startups too. It's just perseverance. Just keep keep going. Um, but yeah, that's kind endless. of the uh, the part of it. Well, th this kind of leads into um, the the next uh, topic that we wanted to try and um, I'm, I'm in the heart of it. So I'll, I'll lead this and then get commentary from you guys. But right now the fundraising market is still brutal. Um, and so we're, we're a series a company. We should be a series B company based on our metrics. Um, but um, uh, and, our, and our metrics are out of this world. I, I couldn't, when I started this, this company, I couldn't have imagined um, how fast we're growing, also how much money we actually are making, um, and also how, how many customers really love our product. Um, and it's fucking still so brutal out there. So over the last year, because we were looking to raise our Series B, um, I've probably had, uh, uh, no, it's been over a year, it's been like, uh, 15 months. Um, over the last year, I probably had uh, conversations with about 150 people. Um, and that has been with big VCs. It's been literally, I've been taking meetings with anybody out there. Um, and still the, um, uh, the market is just so, so, so tough. Um, I will say, and I'll, I'll, I'll even announce it on the show. 
Uh, we just signed signed a term sheet. Um, so um, and Congrats. literally this week, and um, uh, and this is kind of a, a learning f uh, for everybody listening. Um, and I just started pumping it out to other people to fill up the round. So we have a lead, we have terms, we have everything. And I just pumped it out last night and we have over a third uh, of it already committed. Um, and I already have some other investors that probably are going to fill up the, a, a lot of the remaining of the round. Also, if you want to participate in it, hit me up on DMs, <laughs> um, because that's, that's, that's still how hard, how hard it is. Even though yeah. that we we have metrics that I I don't see any other co uh, company out there um, having, uh, but it's really tough. I will also say, um, th and this is a path that not a lot of uh, uh, startups go through. But if you have some decent net revenue, um, the um, uh, the 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 venture debt market out there is red hot. Um, is. I'm getting way more interest for venture debt. Mm -hmm. Um, which typically is is looked upon as not a great way to finance. So uh, how venture debt works is it's obviously debt. You have to pay it back. Um, they they will get their money back before anybody else does. So it's less risky for them. Um, but if you have really good traction and also mm -hmm. net revenue is really the, been the big thing. But there, since the collapse of SVB. Um, uh, there, there is blood in the water and there's a lot of firms that are trying to go and yeah. just scoop that up. Also, mm -hmm. I think SVB has been, um, they've been a great banking partner to us, but since they got bought out, um, their venture debt, um, is really, it's a lot more strict. Um, and so it's a lot harder to, to get that done. And so, um, yeah, I, I'd really, if you if you do have some good and and I'm talking net revenue and you have good economics and and you should really look at that as a path right now. Um, so um, I don't know if anybody wants to share their yeah, their I mean, fundraising stories. Fun, like to put you kind of on the hot seat since we've got yeah. a little bit of the behind the scenes of how this fundraise has gone. And I know it's like when I talk to founders, it's the number one thing they ask me like how how do you really fundraise? Like how do you build that? kind of FOMO and momentum and get that first term sheet because that first term sheet is everything. Do you, can you share like, were there any techniques that, that obviously you had stellar metrics and you have a great company in business. So you have the prerequisites, but what techniques like got you that term sheet? Really? Um, and I've asked everybody on this podcast here, I think the the best is to get um, other um, founders to intro to their VCs, that that is the strongest intro that you could get. I've actually, you're totally right. But like we, I, in the back channels, because we have back channels, obviously, as every, you know, I, I, like everybody, I'm in a bunch of WhatsApp groups, right? And like the, the collaboration that occurs in these WhatsApp groups, we're not strangers, right? Having been on this podcast a whole bunch, but in, even in some of these groups where strangers are talking to each other there's a collaborative thing that doesn't really occur the same way on twitter and so like get into these groups yes you know, don't get into our group you can't maybe you can i don't know be on the show and then maybe but like <laughs> like but but otherwise like just get into a bunch of groups and just get networking really hard there's so many people that i talk to that are just super under networked yeah, and, and it takes time too. Um, it uh, obviously, um, like I've been around uh, building venture back startups for the last decade, um, so it's it's probably I'd say it's even easier for me. But even this fundraise was so fucking hard. It's just it's gonna, you got to do whatever you got to do. The firm that gave you a term sheet, like how did you get connected with them? Was it through another founder? Was it you know? I, I, I'm not going to go into exactly um, who, who that is, and, and, and you yeah. don't have to name names. Yeah, but like the connection. Did yeah, it come no. From... Um, this was uh, actually an an early investor um, that uh, wrote a 50k check early on, and then it's just been me pumping out just in every every single thing. Um, that we said that we were going to do, we did also in a very down market. 
are, are I think are I think it's really our our metrics and they just continue to see I everything that I say that I'm going to do we do we've had a lot of learnings um and I think that just taking those small checks is really important I think that so I we're I'm in a little different position so um and I actually I love Julian to kind of explain that the the easiest time to raise around is when you when the first round when you don't have metrics and it, it's uh, yeah. you've talked about that before um but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you want to kind of go into I mean I'll just say I'll just say this like when the milestones are very clear like the milestones are ex- exceptionally clear on SaaS businesses for example so when you when you have that that's actually like the hardest type of fundraise that you can do if your metrics are not excellent and so it's because there is a standard that is set Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows what the growth rate should be. Everybody knows what the economics should be of everything. And so there's just like, there's this competition going on in the investor's mind, I think, of like, is this the top quartile or top decile SaaS business? And could my money be used in another SaaS business somewhere else, presuming that that's what they do? If you go into, and I mean, uh, it's, uh, who's the the Silicon Valley dude, where it's like such a stereotype. It's like, go to have zero revenue for as long as you possibly can. Yes. It's sad, but it's true. It's the true. more misunderstood your industry, the more weird it is, the more you, you, the more you can ultimately, I want to be super candid about this, like make up milestones. At some point, like this breaks down. Your business has to have comparables. And if you get to a series B, series C, whatever, People would start doing, well, what's the comparable to this in a public market? That's what they begin to do. Yeah. They say in five years, this should be public. So what is it going to look like when investors judge it in the public market? So yeah, there's supposed to be comparable there. But when there is no comparable, that's like where pure storytelling can thrive. Yeah, the seed right? market and, still is pretty hot. But after mm-hmm. that, I, I would even say that even if you do have the the top uh decile um metrics it's still if if you're not in a hot industry so if you're not an ai or you're not in like for us logistics tech um and also unfortunately we've had some companies in our space that because every investor is looking at like well if i put this money in the company's not profitable like how are you going to get the next round so we've had unfortunately Convoy, which raised over a billion dollars, they went out of business. Flexport is doing extremely poorly right now. Um, uh, our business is completely different than that. But from an investor's perspective, they just kind of look at the sector and they're just not interested in it. And so that's why even when yeah. you have insane metrics in this environment, typically this is not the case. But in this it, environment, it's so true. sector is, it is, is so, important. It's it. it it's so true that you have people that have scar tissue about an industry or that see blood in the water in an industry and they're like, I'm fucking out. Yep. It's, and I think it goes even further. I mean, you, you basically have the poster childs of this industry, the big fancy investments that the fancy VCs Mm -hmm. backed, uh, they're blown up. Every day convoy was sold for $15 million. Is that about right? Yeah, and they raised a billion. Yep. What? They were sold for fifteen million? Oh my god. Every day there's a new headline about Flexport. I have no idea what's going yeah. on over there, Fle- but Flexport, it's just like consistently in the news. The yeah. the yeah, there was an information article that Flexport is losing two million dollars a month off a single deal. So they, they did this yeah, did this off of one deal. It's um, the Apple deal, isn't yeah. it? That's right. Yeah. So tell us, Kevin, why is your business different than Flexport? It's because we're we're um, the the prices don't swing like they do in the freight forwarding business. So when you make um, a, a percentage off of the transaction, so in Flexport's business, at the height they were making twenty thousand. This is in gross revenue, twenty thousand um, dollars for a single container. They make a percentage of that. I don't know what that is, but when it goes down to two thousand, and they still have like a really uh, high cost to serve service that container, their unit economics just go like mm-hmm. upside down. The same thing that happened with Convoy, and so the difference between us is that 
we're actually in um, the the shipping markets and fulfillment markets where prices are not that elastic. Um, it's basically um, uh, it's the same it's it's the same cost to to more or less ship some something um, from one location to another, and it has been um, for the last ten years. Of course, the carriers raise their rates, and for us, we just make a percentage off of every shipment. And so that's why it's just different. And um, these rates are not going to decrease um, as dramatically um, as um, in the freight forwarding business. And right. so that's you could why. See, yeah. It makes sense to me how there would be uh, ebbs and flows. I remember in commercial real estate, it was kind of the same as like ebbs and flows. And you'd have to withstand these seven year rises and falls in commercial real estate. And if you had never withstood one, by the way, we work barely withstood one. Nobody does, right? you'd end up in a situation where the, the, the demand and the supply would just completely flip on yep. each other and, and drastically change price. But I'm shocked that the cost of a container can go from $20,000 to $2,000 or whatever uh, their percentage is. Like yeah. That's, that's, that's a crazy chain. So yeah. from a fundraising perspective, like, is the strategy to get in front of this and like, proactively tell investors, look, we're not like these terrible companies in the logistics space, or do you kind of deal with that more reactively? Um, honestly, a, a lot of these questions are not even asked and people just write the industry off. Um, and, and they won't even, I, they'll, st they'll still take the meeting because they, they don't know, they want to build a relationship with me and who knows what I'll do one day and all of this. But like, I know in the back of their head, they're just like, your sector is not doing well. And the same thing actually goes for SaaS as well, right? Like when we had this big SaaS downturn, all these companies were buying from SaaS companies. So like their metrics are like zero growth for this year because they've had so many people. And so right now I think SaaS is, is not a very hot industry to invest in. Multiples are down in the public markets. Um, and um, so it's just... Uh, I, I I like to think that we're different than anybody else, and and I knew this market was, and that's why I, I went into it. Um, and we've consistently shown that our metrics are completely different. Um, but it's just people kind of, um, if they don't know the industry that well, the ins and outs, they just kind of put it in their head that they, they don't want to get into it. And that's the, kind of the opposite on like when you have AI, where where um, it's just unknown what what is going to happen. And so they'd rather, and this is the whole power law for VCs, they don't know what is actually going to happen to these AI companies. And so they, they would much rather have a high risk, high reward um, than, um, and, and also people, there's not a lot of VCs that um, are spe like specialists in my sector, unfortunately. Um, but I think that's kind of like, if I was a VC, like now would be the time to go and like, go against and try to find these other what's going to be the next ai um i, I would i would already argue logistics tech um it's still been untouched it's one of the biggest industries in the world um and um but a lot of investors it, it it's it's all about fomo and there just isn't fomo in in our our industry and also um in um uh b2b right now um for for a lot of companies um Andy? so yeah I, I mean, I find this so interesting because your industry is such a tried and true bread and butter industry for private equity. Uh, I mean, there are a number of large PE firms that have done significant logistics, uh, distribution businesses. I mean, I think CD&R, this is how they got, they got started. I mean, these are multi-billion dollar firms. And yet the VC industry doesn't want to touch it. It's super... It's just a very strong dichotomy between what's going on in the venture side of things and what goes on yeah. in the private equity side of things. And then I think, mm -hmm. I guess, I don't know enough about Flexport to be smart, but K&N is who we used at Nanit way back when, and that's a $40 billion company in freight forwarding and this massive behemoth of a company. So it's just wild, uh, the dichotomy. And why everyone was not able to make the venture side of the industry work. And is the, is the private equity, is it, are there, are there ebbs and flows of private equity as 
wild as the ones in venture. It seems to me like in venture, so many more things go to zero. Yeah. So you're like, your your underwriting model is way crazier than in, in PE companies. Is that kind of directionally correct? Yeah. I mean, if you're a P, if you're under, if you have a zero in a PE deal, it's, it's, it's a, it could be a career in. Uh, um, mm-hmm. It's not like venture where it's the expectation of the portfolio. The expectation is everything works. And so it is very different, but it's, it's definitely been a bread and butter industry that generates high free cash flow for PE. Um, so wild to think about that, that people can't make the business model work on the venture side of thing. Maybe it's growth at all, growth at all costs doesn't work. Well, I think PE is also, you know, looking at companies that are further along, you generally have to be profitable or, you know, very close to profitable and obvious path. And you have to have, you know, like at least 15 million in ARR, which may not be the benchmark to, you know, raise your series A or even your series B. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the companies that are, that PE is even looking at are very predictable. And then based on the stage of the PE firm, they're trying yeah. to get it from 15 million to 30 million or 30 million to 60 million. They have very clear kind of multiples that are mm-hmm. very reasonable <laughs> that they're aiming yeah, for. I, I totally agree. Yeah, but and, and the issue is, is that venture is looking for that outlier that is going to go 100x. Right. Yeah. And they have to look at it in every deal. And I get it. It evens out. But so... It's uh, it's almost like a, a founder should be happy when they graduate in the early stage. If they do a deal with a PE firm, it's a bad signal. It's like these people are no, not going to have the right expectations for this company at this stage, and they don't understand that if they've done this type of transaction. But once you get to, to Series B, Series C, and you graduated into private equity type companies, sovereign wealth funds, all these other kind of like bigger twenty five yeah. million dollar check to for whatever amount of, of the company. These businesses, sometimes you could storytell your way into these types of funds, but once you get to that size of business, it means that there's a consistency that other people believe you will have, which like the business could still go to zero, but it's probably like a real business. So that's like a, it's like a milestone that founders should want to reach whenever they can, whenever their their businesses are ready for it. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like uh, you're seen as not quite as bad as like, oh, I want to run a lifestyle business, but like wanting to sell to private equity or be eligible to sell to private equity is seen as like kind of a failure in the venture world. But I agree. Like, I think it's a huge milestone. It's something that, you know, internally we think a lot about like if we can get really profitable and really interesting for private mm-hmm. equity buyers, that's just a really solid internal milestone to reach, whether we take that path or not. So I think it's yep. nothing to be ashamed of. And in fact, I think it's, you know, something to be really proud of, but it just doesn't have that reputation in the in the venture world. Spoiler alert, if you actually set, get really profitable and sell to private equity, you are rich. Like right. out of the it's, line. It's like you, you raise your venture round and like you've just, you know, made it harder to get rich for yourself. Whereas if you raise your private equity round, you take chips off the table generally and you're rich right then and there. So I don't I don't understand why it's so frowned upon uh, to go the private equity route. But I certainly think it's pretty interesting. Bootstrapping gets a bad name in our industry. I don't know. Well, we, I, I think the historical reason was there was R and D risk uh, versus business yeah, model yeah. risk, and R and D risk is not something that structured capital is good at funding. Um, right. It's interesting though. I was having this conversation with an entrepreneur earlier this week, and so basically my viewpoint is there are really good industries where everyone is doing well, and there are really bad industries where everyone is doing poorly. The really bad industries, everyone's losing money, everyone has terrible margin structure, nobody's generating free cash flow, tons of people coming in, very low barriers to entry, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's these industries you look at, and everyone's earning really high invested investments on their uh, really high ROIC, 
everyone's generating really large free cash flow. It's consolidating or has been consolidated and everyone's generating a lot of profit. And I'd much rather work, I'd rather, yeah. much rather be a B or C founder in A industry right. than be a A founder in a B or C industry. And I guess where I'm going with this, Kevin, is you look around at, at logistics generally, and outside of the venture side of things, this looks like an A industry. I mean, there are a lot yeah. of companies generating a lot of free cash flow. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's good to you say, to you say that. That's true, fortunately, until venture has a consensus view on it. Exactly, yes. He's got a ride out. Yes. Right? And so he's forced to become, maybe this is good, like net good, like he's forced to become an I think operator. It is. it is. Because, and actually, I think that's an, it's an incredible thing for all the, all the people, a bunch of them I coach. And of course, I, I run a, a, a venture back business as well at the same time. Like what you've got is, is everybody here has been tested over the past couple of years. A bunch of people are doing weird rounds that I've seen or I have a front row seat for. And some others are blowing past their expectations, but it like it is making real operators out of people. I don't know if I've been through a version of this before. I know everyone ultimately does, but last time that there was a weird, you know, up and down like this that lasted for this long, I just I wasn't running a software business. Try running a hardware business. <laughs> it puts some hair on your back. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass on the back hair. <laughs> no thanks. All right. Laser what, what? away, sponsored by Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a lot of experience with that. So, all right. What, <laughs> another episode. What topic was, <laughs> what, what topic do we have next? All right. Who bought a Vision Pro? Did Am not. You have one. one. Yeah. So, I, I had a conversation with my fiance. I was like, is this dumb or smart for me to do this? She's like, it is dumb. And I was like, I don't know. And, and so I didn't press order. So talk to me about it. I mean, like, look, you've got a wedding to pay for at the end of this year. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone True. out there. Yeah. So mm -hmm. she, she, she knows what Off she's going market. for. Right. <laughs> 10 years later. I mean, I look at it like I bought the very first Apple watch that came out. And it, because I was building an, I was building an app for it at the time. And like I had to, and anyway, it sucked. Like, it was dumb. I couldn't figure out the use case. And so I just stopped wearing a watch for years. It was actually not up until last year that I bought an Apple Watch again. And it is, I mean, I never take the thing off. It's amazing. It keeps track of my health. It keeps me on track with my exercise. It just told me my heart rate, my resting heart rate has been up for the past week, which makes sense because I've been sick. It's like incredible. And so I almost feel like being an early adopter sort of, was like a waste. Like I'd rather let them I'm like sort it out, and Sarah. then I will make the investment in the thing when there's the apps for it, when all the use cases are clear. Like why, you know, let someone else do the early adopter work of, yeah, making this thing useful. I, so Sarah, like I used to when I was much more of a consultant and speaker and quote unquote thought leader. Like I would be this person that would get Gen One things. And yeah. I would have to, I would, here's what the thing that I would tell people though, which I'm no longer sure if I agree with, I would say in order to be able to predict the future, you have to be able to see the present accurately. Now that's a really good pithy statement, really good one, but is it useful for someone who's running a business? I'm not sure that it necessarily is, but is it super fun to see a version of the future that could exist? Absolutely. Andy, you're nodding. Yeah, I mean, I, I bought Gen One. Apple. I'll buy anything Apple, but Apple sells basically, <laughs> except for except for a HomePod. I have no interest in that. Um, so I bought Gen One Apple Watch. I bought Gen One iPhone, and I was so curious what Gen One Vision Pro was. Um, I don't know what the killer app is yet. What I'm mainly using it for is to surf the internet and watch incredible immersive content. There's not a what kind of immersive. incredible immersive content. I went to an Alicia Keys concert last night. I'm not an Alicia Keys mm. fan, but you think you are there. That is the best way to describe it. I would pay Apple a hundred bucks, maybe 150 bucks for that experience over paying 250 for nosebleed seats. Um, wow. It is so lifelike and so real. So that's the plus. 
And I'm also incredibly curious how the platform develops and what people are going to build on it. So that was just pure intellectual curiosity. I gotta say though, I've tried using it for work and every time I join a meeting with my avatar, it's too distracting for the rest of the meeting participants. So I stopped right. actually using it. So it's about an hour a day I'm using it right now. I don't know what the killer use case is. I can't mm -hmm. decide if I wasted $3,500, but it's very enjoyable. Uh, and if I could just be it. candid, the, the, the use case is porn. Everybody knows that's what it is. <laughs> We're have just waiting for that. that. Have you tried that? Just like, yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, oh. I'll, just, I'll just say this. I, I, I'm super happy to do it. If I had a conversation when the one, oh, like 10 years ago, when like one of these Quest things came out and someone brought it to the breeder office back in the day when we were like 10, 15 people and, and I was using it and they did the roller coaster and then somebody put on an x-ray that it was like after hours and it was, uh, I mean, it was crazy. So it's, so it, it 100% is going to be the killer use case, one of X number. And, and, you know, it, it, it's driven, the internet is driven by people going after weird shit. We just don't talk about it. It's the same way. Well, I, I used to really say that all of these weird, very successful companies had like a odd dark side, yeah. like Google has tons of click fraud, right? And Facebook has a bunch of weird disinformation shit. Like you just can't build technology without creating weird shit underneath. That's just a part of how the world works. I'm the internet is weird. We all know that it find every, there is a group of people who are interested in subcategories across the internet. I don't disagree with you. It aggregates the long tail and the long tail tends to be bigger than people realize. Uh, I think the killer use case will end up being sports. That's what I think it will be a very oh, big killer use true. case for it. I want to see it. So far, there is no Apple immersive content for sports. Um, hmm. It is very interesting to ha to tr to work on it or interact with it. It is a 3D canvas. If anyone has seen Minority Port, that's the best way to describe what it's like. You can have your message here, your Safari browser here, and maybe a Word document on the right. And you're going to be able to turn your head and have these permanent 3D canvases. It's sort of the, if anyone's played with Miro, it's a hyper-exaggeration of what a Miro type of experience could become in 3D. And so it's very interesting. I don't know where the platform goes. It's been interesting to see that there hasn't been a lot of content being pumped out in immersive 3D in the two weeks it's been live, but I like it. I, I will buy, as I've said to many people, I buy everything Apple will buy. And I think they'll figure out the use case and they'll lean in on it. I mean, Sarah talked about Gen 1 of Apple Watch. Gen 1 of Apple Watch was not marketed towards health. And I mean, Sarah just basically repeated the marketing, the product marketing for it word for word today, not realizing that. <laughs> Uh, so I think they will figure out that killer use case and I'm sure they're getting a lot of data and my guess, because they released it with a pro moniker, a pro label at the end, they'll end up coming out with an Apple vision next year for 1999 that is trimmed down and something worse for the rest of the market. That's a guess. And Gen 3 should probably be amazing. Well, if, if so, yeah, I mean, I heard like, you know, you could potentially watch like live sports like you were sitting courtside at a basketball game or front row seats at you know football game um but i was curious if they actually have the you know you actually have to have like the angles filmed of that for it to work um but that that would you know absolutely i would buy that in a second if i could do that and then also i would buy the content on top of it like i would buy the nfl sunday ticket Apple Pro version where you sit on the 50 yard line and then get to sit, you know, right where they're making the field goal, like whatever the, you know, there could be like a million upsells. So I feel like they could bring down the cost of the actual device if they're, you know, selling you really immersive content. Yeah. And I think it like tracks basically home theater to some degree. I mean, HD content was around for, I don't know, mid 2000s was the early days of HD content. So like 1080p. And it took a long time be before you would get 
significant amount of carriage on the cable networks with HG in general. Um, the beauty of this is Apple has their own production company. They have their own store and the pipe is there uh, so that you can actually download it. So a lot of those problems have been solved. Apple's just got to put money where their mouth is and yeah. pump out the content and sign those deals. My, yeah. my question is how stupid are airplanes going to look like now when oh, you're God. walking to the bathroom in the dark and there's a bunch of assholes like yourself, Andy, <laughs> who you know I love. Just like, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that future. I know it's all going to get smaller, all those other things. I just don't know if I'm prepped for that future, dude. It's so dystopian. But it's Ask not going to feel dystopian, weeks. right? It's going to feel good. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So you're going to find a path to making it feel good and feel natural and all those things. And they're on that path. I, 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 Ask I, I, me in three weeks. I'll send you the video. We hit. I was planning on taking the headset off when I went to the bathroom, just FYI. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. I imagine you're walking down the, the aisle to the, towards the bathroom, and there's a bunch of, a bunch of dudes or Division Pros. That's, they're all going to be dudes. I heard, I heard a good analogy on Twitter that I definitely agree with. Like, I, 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 well, I've heard a lot of, a lot of analogies. Like, this is like, the, like when the iPhone came out, and it's going to change all of our lives. I don't agree with that. I, I like the other analogy that this is going to be like the iPad, where it's going to be like a cool device, but it's like it's not going to change any of our lives um, for the foreseeable future until we have contact lenses or something. And and uh, it's just I, I, I just don't see it really outside of like watching movies, which seems which is definitely different. Like, and, and also, let's talk about what happened with the Oculus, right? Like. I would say that that's more or less been like kind of a failure. Um, and they've been building that for a long time. Um, I think the movie use case is really interesting and, and, and different. Um, but I, I just, I don't see this really changing um, everything. Um, I don't, I don't believe this is going to be the next like, um, like uh, computing device um, until it could potentially just get in your eyeballs or something. Well, I mean, I wear glasses every day. True. And like no one, I mean, maybe you all notice and call me four eyes behind my back, but like it's just a picture. <laughs> How did you know? Yeah. Like, and I feel like I look pretty normal out there in the world. So I, I feel like if they could get it down to something like the glasses I put on every day, it's not dystopian for my kids to see me wearing glasses. And, right. uh, you know, it's just I'm going about my day. You don't know that totally, uh, without it. Of course, that's true. It's just you're going to find a profit, pass the profitability through that, right? From here with the giant goggles to the form factor that then everybody's going to yeah. have one. And, well, it, it's, and so smart smartphones weren't, you know, it, it, you, all, you all talked about the, the Apple Watch. Like I had, I'm a tool. I have every generation up until Gen 8. I bought all of them. Okay. Well, and so like, was that smart? Definitely not. But there's these people that are going to do that. Yeah. And at some point, round you're right. Like around version three, version four, they were like, "This is a health device," and they so, were clear about that. So if, and, if you and iPhone three, iPhone four, like right around there, they were like, "Oh, this is this is now really working." So there's a version of that that you hit at some point. I kind of feel like iPads will never hit it. To tell you the truth, I agree. It's just like you have yeah. one, but who cares? I but then again, I, there's I, hundreds I of millions of them out there, and what the hell do I know? Um, for, for let, let's give some advice to founders, right? I think like Andy talked about, like you or, or we all kind of talked about, like you need to get into these technologies early on. I could definitely relate exactly to that. So I bought, uh, and this is this was when um, uh, this is so long ago now. When did the iPhone come out? It was um, two thousand eight. So I, I, at the time I, I didn't really, um, I, I can't remember what phone I had, but I, I bought an iTouch and I, 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 and which was very similar. And I started like that basically kicked off my entire career. I started making apps for it, um, and, uh, was a developer and it essentially like led me to where I am now building companies. And so. Do you think that this has, but also you have to have enough users to like build those companies and those companies to work for. Do you think, um, and leave it up to anybody, like, do you think that um, it, it is 
for 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 far it's close enough that you should be buying one of these things and start mm. making applications for it right now. So Kevin, I think you're right. It is a good, from a, from a perspective of a listener, you're right. Platform shifts make people's careers, right? For yeah. me, just yep. have just me. The, the iPod for you. I know for sure, you know, for everybody, if you go through a platform shift and you ride it the right way, Kind of nothing you ever need to do right ever again. Sometimes, yeah, I, I think if you if the platform shift takes off, it's a home run. You want to be it's first to market uh, and first mover advantage. We've talked about this a lot. Can be a very big plus, or you could end up like MySpace. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's an interesting question. Will uh, how fast will this market develop? How fast are are we? I mean. AR VR for founders has probably been the trough of sorrow uh, for the last, I don't know, five years, three years, besides that weird metaverse area, era of tw 2021 to, 2000, uh, to 21 to 22, where everyone thought everything was going to be out of the metaverse and no one made any money. Um, so I guess it's anybody who's been in the space for a long time, the folks who worked at Magically for other places, yeah. probably have some interesting experience. Um, I mean, we started with Google Glass, we ended up with Oculus, and then Magic Leap was some sideshow on the side. Maybe they do it finally. Maybe they build. So if I'm somebody in this space and I have a thesis on Vision Pro, how would I do it? Probably be capital efficient right now. Yes. Um, I would prove out product market fit, and then I'd hit the gas. And knowing this may take 12 to 24 months for this market to actually develop. Um, and part of riding that wave that Julian's talking about is there's market risk, there's product risk, there's tech risk, there's execution risk. Uh, this and lack, thing lack has, of user risk as well. That, that would be market risk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True. So th that would be market risk. So I mean, there's a there's still a lot of market risk here. Are you are you inning two or are you inning five or are you inning one? I can't call it yet. That's for the entrepreneurs out there listening. If, yeah, I, I think me personally, if I went back to like the days that the iPhone launched, I, st I personally, um, well, and this would be a younger version uh, and uh, of myself, but I just with the price point, I, I, I would think this is just the market's just going to be too small. And like, even if you start like companies need to build on it you could go and, and and make yourself like a developer and join them um and then make your own company potentially or something like that i just think we're too far away from that right now to really Kevin, spend your I'll time i'll make a thousand dollar bet with you right now okay uh billion dollar vision pro company in five years i'll just make Ooh, the bet i would Whoa. take even i would take three years no question well, I mean, you, you, you take the, Kevin, you, I bet you. Really, really, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Are, are you are are I'll, we betting? Are we betting revenue or valuation? Because yeah, Magic right. Leap was was valued at more than that. I, well, yeah, there's I, within five years has to be valuation. Yeah, it's just a thousand dollars. Come on, I'm not taking that. Put your money will like you also have like the fact that Apple wants companies to succeed, so. I think there's. Um, I got a wedding to pay just for. Just like Come you know, on. they're going to want people to develop for this platform. I, Come I, on, the, Kevin. The Put only your money where your mouth is. My mouth is you not here. Off on um, the internet, I, dude. I I I, you, I think that it's, it's there's always very likely that there's shit on the internet. There, very likely a company will be valued at over a billion dollars, but they will be making probably like twenty million dollars in revenue. And so I, so I are do you taking the bet or I'm not, not, not valuation okay. bad bet. Valuation right. like when when a trillion yeah. dollar company is backing <laughs> you, like the valuation is meaningless. But exactly, I, I that's think, my my exact. Point. I don't yeah. think this is going to be a mainstream consumer product in the next three years. Like I I just don't see it. It's it's just way too early. So I would advise founders do not like unless you have an incredibly strong thesis on your own about something you're building for this platform, I wouldn't do it. There's been way too many false starts in like AR, VR, 
it just it doesn't feel like it's ready for prime time. You know, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a Canadian who loves America in some elements more than the average Canadian does. Okay, and like like Warren Buffett has the slide. I think during the last downturn, whenever it was, whenever there's going to be a recession, he's got this one slide or Charlie Munger or somebody. And the whole slide is just never bet against America. That's just Warren Buffett on the left, the slide on the right, never bet against America. And I see like you're not, so you're not, you're not betting on individual achievement. You're betting on people trying to get rich off a thing. And when you get a lot of people trying to get rich off a thing, some people are definitely going to find a way to work and we can't predict what it's going to look like. You know what I mean? Human ingenuity is powerful. It's the reason we're even fucking here. Yeah. I think we're just a little too early and the, and the price points too high. It's going to have to come way down and, and the form factors. And if anything, like we've had Facebook, uh, working on this for the last has it been a decade or, or has Oculus been around for 15 years now? Less. Less? I, a decade? I, I think it's less. I mean, so, I but... still haven't seen one of these in the wild. I've seen like friends post that they're using it, but I haven't seen one out and about. And I, you know, live in the heart of Silicon Valley. So like, I, I don't, I, it just, it seems like there's a lot of hype right now, but how many people actually own one of these? You're supposed to take it out of your house? That's the better question. Like, are you supposed to be driving with it on? No. Oh. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't seems think so. Like it'd be really hard to be mainstream if it's something that's like left in your home. Well, I mean, your TV is left in your home. Yeah. And there's TVs like mainstream. TVs are like the biggest, com- like they're not, there's not like a, a special technology. It's like everyone has the same thing. So uh, somebody said to me last night, somebody compared it to me to the PC. So like, remember 1983, 1985, we were all children. I remember my dad going out and buying the first IBM PC with like a floppy disk drive that we, no one knew what you could do on it. It had like a DOS. That was like 1995. No, that was 1985. Depends on the type of disk. Yeah. Like I don't five and a quarter. Do why, I mean, I don't know what your your dad was an extremely early adopter buying a PC for the home in 1985. Yeah, we have the original IBM at home. We had it. Like, we had one was... of the first computers, and that was in 1995 or 1990, Same. 1990, 1990, 1995. Everyone was on AOL. Yeah, like this is way before AOL. This is like you couldn't do anything. You didn't have a modem. The question was, what do you do it? And so this is like yep. early days of Apple, the hobbyist, when IBM is selling this standalone PC for five grand. And that's five grand inflation, pre-inflation adjustment. And that's what Vision Pro feels like right now. The market ended yeah. up developing around it. It took three to five years. And yeah, there were a lot of billion no, dollars. No, it pe- took more than three to five years from that to be mainstream that everyone had it in their house. And there was not mainstream, just it's the market starts. And so that's where I feel like this is probably the closest thing that we're going to. Um, It doesn't feel like the iPhone, but I'm still going back to why Kevin won't bet us a thousand dollars. Because I think there's going to be the magic leaps that that are able to wow investors with like these crazy applications. Or that's also the reason why I think the same thing for crypto. I just don't see the real value in it. But that doesn't mean that you can't build like a billion dollar uh, it's so a company. It's so easy to get valued at a billion dollars. Yeah, evaluation means meaningless. Money, money. Okay, Anyways, how about what, a billion dollar exit within five years? Um, I, I definitely, I, 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 no, I'm still not doing that because there, it's okay because to do it. no, because there's there's companies out there just like how Oculus was built was sold literally for a billion dollars, yeah. right? And like it, okay. it just doesn't doesn't matter. It's strategic. They have funds. They're betting on the future. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. Anyways, I think we'll, let's let's we've been on this topic for 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 a while here. Let's let's wrap it up. And and the, the way that we wanted to wrap this episode up, given that this our last episode was our 50k episode, um, we well, well, why don't we um, uh, go around the group and um, uh, uh, and kind of ask who who do, who do you want to guys. Who, what are your dream people to get on here and how and 
And how are we going to be able to get them on? Oh, God. I want Sam Altman. That's Good who one. I want on our podcast. I want Sam Altman. So who here has the YC hook to get him on? I don't. That's who I would like. It sounds like Nikita Beer is already on it, and that's what a lot of he's people commi- would love to. He's yeah. committed. I, I, I yeah, DM'd him. Yeah. Okay. What you um, need is crazier shit talkers than even that. Is that even yeah. possible? What I don't do you know. Want, Julian? I don't know. Let me think. I, I, I mean, uh, obviously the founders of FanDuel, since this show is sponsored by FanDuel now, isn't it? If only <laughs> Kevin would take the bet. <laughs> I'm trying to close this round. I don't Please have any more time. Please responsibly, folks. <laughs> mine, mine would be um, uh, Brian Chesky, and I, Ooh, I, that's I, a good one. Good. And I, have, I, I, I know him, and um, uh, I, I've already emailed him, so I'll, I'll keep, mm-hmm. I'll keep going at him, just like I, I, I did for, for Aaron. Cold, cold email works, everyone. It works. Sarah, who do you want? Um, Taylor Swift. Oh man. Ooh. Gonna be tough. Or, that's gonna or be tough. if we can't get her, maybe one of the Kelsey brothers. I think that's actually doable. Yeah, they do. They have their they, own. They have a podcast. really good yeah. podcast that I listen to. I'm obviously a huge fan of Jason Kelsey, the lesser known but more important Kelsey brother. So I think <laughs> we, have the um, we we could make it happen, and we could you know pump their podcast and. <laughs> bring all the founders to them i think i think we could we could get get connected there i love I feel it. like jason kelsey is a get i feel like we somebody in our audience should be able to get us to him yeah and first i have to say i'm not an eagles fan so let's just let's be very clear there sarah we know you are but i i would love to have him on all right well let's let's end the show with that and um thanks everybody for listening um and uh uh, as uh, if, if you want to help us out, grow it even 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 more. Uh, like, subscribe. So we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. Hitting that subscribe button, you'll get notified when we have a new show. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Sarah, See everybody. Book you on intro right after this. Oh yeah. Do and it. I'm sure lots of other people will. See yeah. ya. <laughs> Bye. All right. Bye.